Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody! Yeah! This Woo! Is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Shelly. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm really good today. How are you? Rocking and also rolling some dice. Oh, nice! I'm in too. Ooh, I like. I, I like that? your. Your puffy shirt. You got puffy sleeves going on. Oh, today. did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Shelly Puffy. Comb your hair. <laughs> You're straight out of a Seinfeld episode. It is a little quilty, the shirt, but speaking of rolls, yeah. it hides them, which is why <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Behind Woo! the Dungeon Master screen that is your shirt. It is. You know, that's a great reason to be a dungeon master is yeah. because you get to hide your puffiness behind a screen. I love it. You're going to be start doing like dungeon master advice now on your own since you are a learned and expert DM. Dungeon master fashion advice. How to bum, hide bum, bum. how to hide your rolls. Ha ha. Which is a thing dungeon masters do. Or when to show them. Yes. Hopefully this summer. We are very excited and interested about all of the things that are happening in the Dungeons & Dragons world. Uh, I'm really going to tell you about some of them, some of which include our guest, uh, Joe Wiseman, who is the showrunner of the CBS sitcom called Ghosts. He's a longtime D&D fan, and right, I think tomorrow, when you get to listen to this episode, there will be a premiere of an episode on Ghosts on CBS that is very D&D-centric. The entire very. A plot and then the B plot gets involved with it. Uh, this show is really kind of cool. It stars Utkarsh Umbudkar uh, with a uh, one as a co-owner of a bed and breakfast in upstate New York. Uh, upstate New York. Upstate New York. Who has a lot of ghosts who live within the house. They're, they're, they're happy ghosts. They're funny ghosts. They all have different backgrounds and stories. One of them is was a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons, as is the character that Utkarsh plays. Um, well, I guess there's multiple characters that Utkarsh plays, uh, but he is a longtime D and D player and uh, can't connect with his old group back in New York City. So he starts to a D and D group within his community that are ghosts. Uh, <laughs> so it's really funny, and there's a lot of D and D, you know, modern D and D products on display in yes. the episode itself miniatures, terrain, even the standing uh, statues from Waterdeep that were made by our friends at WizKids make an appearance. It's super cool. It is, and you can tell that it's an episode that was made by someone with a genuine love of D&D and just yeah. the care and, and the way it's depicted and just you can feel the love. The writers and the showrunner and the performers all had some love of D&D in them, so that's super cool. Yes, yeah, always good to see our little game out there being portrayed like that. Yeah, and it is uh, also of interest that we've got some more things coming out for D&D this year still, including Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. This book has got so much in it. It's an adventure for running... Uh, characters through a magical university that is inspired by the Magic the Gathering setting of Strixhaven. 
all the D&D rules you need in there to run a magical school, be it a university or a college uh, or a more uh, young adult boarding school type of situation. <laughs> all this stuff can be inspired from there. Uh, and uh, as I said, there's an adventure that runs through the four years of school uh, and tons of great NPCs and characters that you can uh, build into your game if this is a more homebrewed setting uh, and instantly transporting a magical, magical academy into that, that homebrew setting. It's really cool. It is. I got one word for you. What's that? Owlin. Owlin. How That's cute right. are the Owlin? Being able to play that race of Owlin, uh, anthropomorphic owl creatures. That's I my mean, jam. There's nothing more D&D than that. Yeah. I do think that this one also has a lot of potential to reach some of maybe some younger fans that mm -hmm. if, you know, you've got some young adults at, at home that I've been thinking about trying out the D and the D, or maybe you've wanted to introduce them to it. Because like Greg said, there's four adventures included in this that each represent one of your, your school years. They can be played as standalones. So just bust out that first year adventure and just see what it's like to be a student, a first year student at a magic university. I think it would appeal to a lot of people. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot going on uh, there. Um, you can use it whole cloth and set it within Strixhaven if you have an affinity to that. But like I said, it's very useful to drop into your homebrew setting uh, with all of the inspirations that the book contains. Similar to Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, which is mm, out there now and is, uh, you know, enjoying success on all types of bestseller lists. We I just know. saw the USA Today list uh, recently <laughs> as we're recording this, uh, putting... Strixhaven in the top 10 of all books being sold, which is Crazy. just, it always boggles my mind. Uh, it was it was at ranked number one on the Amazon all books list as well. Uh, at certain points, it's gone up and down on that list that is published more in real time. Um, but it's great to see the USA Today list uh, as well. It's so funny to me because you know, like authors are that have books that have come out are scouring these lists, right? Like, where did I mark? Where's my book on this list? And it's like, this band's Treasury of Dragons. Like, like I can you just see like John Grisham scratching his head, like, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> They're number one, and I'm like number three. I'm sure um, John Grissom is like, oh, Fizzband from those Dragonlance novels that I love so much. He knows. Fizzband's code. That's his next. Oh, wait, that's a different author. That was Dan Brown. <laughs> I always Dan get Brown. that mixed up. That's but right. yes. <laughs> Maybe Dan Brown is also a D&D &D player. And Stephen King and... Uh, Stephen King is, Ursula right? Ursula and all the fun folks out there. Yeah. yeah. So pick that up. That is tons of inspiration in that book as well. I've seen people on Twitter thumbing through it, and I agree with them saying that there is just inspiration on each page, sometimes multiple inspirations on, on the page Aww, uh, for dragons, uh, adventures, encounters, hordes that you can get, as well as full cloth dungeons that you can run from their dragon lairs for each type of dragon out there, including gem dragons, uh, which are stated up in all of their glory in that book. Yes. Cool stuff. Awesome. All right, but that's not to say that Wild Beyond the Witchlight is not also being played and used all over the place. I don't know if you can see it behind me, but I've got the map of the Witchlight Carnival behind me. I had a great time with my uh, oldest daughter this weekend uh, doing our session zero of creating characters mm. that we're going to run together. Her fairy character is going to be so fun. Her name is Lydia Unknown. I love that. She's got so many great uh, story hooks with her 
um, pseudo dragon beast companion. She's playing a ranger, uh, which will be super fun. As she's never done that before. And uh, it is chock full of really fun, interesting characters in the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. One of which, our friend Ari Levich, is going to join us for a lore you should know to talk about. The Briganox. Oh, cool. Yeah, let's give a listen to that before we jump in with Joe Weissman, showrunner of Ghosts. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Ari Levich. Hey, Ari. Hello again. I am excited to talk to you up on this segment where we go into various bits of D&D lore for use at the table or just because it's really fun to know. Uh, Ari, you worked a lot on The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, uh, which should be out uh, now, September 21st, out everywhere. Uh, so hopefully you're digging into what's going on in the Feywild, uh, and you may have come across a monster, the Briganok. And uh, I'm excited to learn more about what this monster is all about. Yeah, so uh, the Briganok is probably my favorite new monster um, in this book. And they are little, they're tiny mouse-sized fey creatures that look like tiny miners. So oh. they have a tiny pickaxe, um, you know, they have their facial hair, uh, and they're adorable creatures um, that that mine for wishes. So when somebody makes a wish, you know, whether it's on like, you know, you wish on a star or you're blowing out a, a birthday candle and you throw a coin down a well, an echo of that wish ends up uh, forming a kind of like geode or a crystal inside of the deep within the mines where the Briganocks live. And they mine for these things and they use these stones to adorn their, their houses or adorn, you know, their architecture. And, uh, they are, and, and yeah, and they're, they're, they are, they have the ability to kind of, while they're mining, almost move in fast forward to do the mining. So they can, like, they go into this, you know, rapid state where they could just mm. kind of like chew through stone as they mine. Um, and interestingly, like they can't see in the dark. And oh. instead, this, their souls are these kind of orbs of light that kind of orbit them. And they can kind of send, send uh, some distance away and they can call it back. So their, their external soul actually sheds light for them. So they don't have to see in the dark. So instead of having like, you know, a candle on a helmet or anything like that, they actually have this glowing orb of the soul always around them. Wow. All right. Um, and they are appear in Prismere as it's one of their minds there. Yeah. So uh, in the mountainous uh, realm of Yon, so one of the three splinter realms of, uh, of Prismere, uh, that's where you can uh, encounter the Briganox. Sweet. And what, other than adornment, what, what do these wish stones, uh, what, what, you know, are they valuable to other people? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely can be. Um, let me double check real quick. <laughs> so, um, so the wishes that the Briganox seek, they only seek, by the way, uh, wishes of good intent. Oh. Wishes of ill intent, they cast into a chasm. And they don't uh -huh. want anything to do with them. But the way the characters can interact with these wish stones is earlier um, in the uh, earlier in, in, in the adventure, they have an opportunity to make a wish. And that wish 
could end up in the mines with the Brigadox. And oh. so characters could actually recover this wish stone. But if the wish they made was a kind of an ill-intended wish, um, even holding that negative wish stone is something that would uh, cause cause people to be get nauseous. It causes nausea. Oh, so that has this. It has this power. It's almost like you know you're kind of putting that energy into into the universe, so to speak, and it kind of crystallizes in these wish stones. Oh, interesting. All right, and. Uh... Is is the the mining kind of motif seems similar to like you know so Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs kind of feeling of like oh you know we're going to to mine is that where this comes from is this like is that you know that kind of fae fairy tale yeah that, that's something that so Stacey Allen um, who kind of had the the idea for Brigadox and then um, Sean Wood uh, did the concept art for it but the idea is so many uh, like fae or folk tales uh, associated with the Fae have to do with mines, or it has to do with, with creatures that look like miners. We see this, as, you know, with dwarves as well. Um, so yeah, like you mentioned, you know, the seven dwarves. So um, that motif kind of is repeated uh, in in many Fae creatures. But the idea of having one of 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 tiny size was so fascinating, and this like many fake creatures who are obsessed with a particular type of object or behavior, the Briganox being, being driven to mine these wish stones, uh, which is kind of a unique place for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a great place to, if you wanted to use, uh, use Briganox outside of this adventure, the idea of seeking out a wish or maybe it's not your wish, but it was, it's, it's just a good adventure seed to seek out, Maybe a character from you know your world's history or or whatever made this wish, and if you're able to recover it, you can unlock something from it or do something with that stone. So it, it's just a great play. It's a great way to create adventure seeds or do side quests or things like that. Mm. And they're they're just adorable to uh, to to interact with. There's a great art of it in the book, art of them in the book, and uh, yeah, I, I just absolutely love the Brigadoc. Yeah, and I love the idea too of uh, a wish that's made by a player character um, that needs to be taken back or you know recovered in some way. And then, how do you do that? You have to go into this into this mine uh, and right. and 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 you know becomes a little side quest or it is the main quest. Absolutely, absolutely. And so there's there's something really cool about it. It just I love when when monsters point to adventure, right? Like mm. that's something that just as you know, as a dungeon master, it just that's what gets me going. When I, you know, I could just flip through, you know, the monster manual or any book that has monsters in it. If there's something in there, oftentimes it's the visual that that, that grabs my attention. But if there is something in that story, it's like that's exactly what I need. That's what I want right now. That's those are the best monsters like for me. And yeah. so when I see the Brigadock, and when I just read about the Brigadock, I was like, I I want to use them. And there's so they many look stories. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so I think it's great. They're, yeah. they're, uh, it looks like it says they're typically neutral good here. And so they're not they're not like a typical monster in that you would want to beat them up to take their stuff uh, yeah. if, if that's your mode of, of, of playing D&D. So, yeah, how, how would you want to use them in a, in a storytelling way with their stat blocks here? Um, I think you could do... I, I think you can make it where if you had a Briganok ally and you need to, you know, you need to seek out these, the, these wish stones or even... You might not even know that this wish stone is a thing, but if 
if they stumbled upon this power, this wish stone, and it has some sort of power because of the wish that was in there, or it's a malignant wish stone or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, they might be the impetus for why you're going out to maybe recover this, this wish stone to begin with. Um, I think you can, I think the idea of going on a journey and having, you know, uh, maybe like a, a bunch of them kind of with you and the, I think of that. I think about the brownies from the movie Willow. I was my how, first you know, thought too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have them there. You know, they're all in all your pockets, and they're doing this, and you know, they have all their uh, orbiting kind of uh, soul lights going everywhere. So there's like visually, it's just evocative to me. Uh, and when I yeah, when I saw Sean's version that had that external soul, this orbiting light, it just that's what made it come alive to me in a way that where it's like, okay, these aren't just miniature dwarves, right? Mm-hmm. There's something different about them. Yeah. Um, you might be able, like, there might be something that happens where you only find this bobbing soul light, and maybe you have to find, you know, the oh, uh, yeah. you have to, you know, find a way to reattach it in some way. Like, I don't. Maybe, maybe all the uh, the brigadocks in this one settlement all started losing their soul lights. They all just became disconnected. So there's something going on here, and you got to find a way to reattach them. So yeah, you could do a lot of fun little one shots, I think. Uh, but the idea of the wish being such a powerful concept, even just from just something very human, the idea mm-hmm. of of having a wish and that being a source of powerful magic can set off all sorts of big quests. That's cool. Uh, and I like the idea too of the wish stone being uh, a MacGuffin in a kind of way, right? Where it could be, you know, hey, just one powerful NPC wants it back or maybe it's used for fuel to create a magic item or something that you know is to be used for uh, other things or to spy on someone like you know maybe that's the connection to the person who makes the wish can be used to to scry on on on, on where that is and so that could be used as a plot point uh, as well I mean there's something deeply personal about that and the idea that when you make a wish it goes somewhere to be manifested yeah it's such as like wait what I didn't know that was a thing and so there's something very interesting about that, about that falling into somebody else's hands. And so there's also just maybe a sentimental attachment to this thing that this stone is like something that was created because of me. And so there's mm. there's something very powerful about that or something that was created by maybe a character that had died. And this is a way to commemorate them in some way. So yeah, there's all sorts of character oh, reasons or plot reasons to I include Briganox and Wishstones. Break the fourth wall too and be like, have have your players, not the characters, but have the players be like, hey, what was your wish when you were 10 years old? Uh, oh. And then and then have that show up as the Wishstone. Uh, I love that type of stuff for sure. It's yeah, like never yeah ending, for sure. Never ending story and Willow and all these things are all playing around in my head right now. Yep. Uh, cool stuff. Um, and, uh, I also just want, uh, I just want to say this out loud now. I wish that players use the Briganok in all of these ways. Yep. Now that wish don't exist, go find it. (laughs) And when you see, when you see the art of it, uh, yeah, you're going to, you're going to love it too. Um, so I want to see some art of, uh, more Briganoks. Yeah. And what individual wish stones look like too. Like I want to know what what, what that visual is. Uh, Cool stuff. Thanks, Ari. Uh, It's always great to go into this type of lore and be sparked with ideas and stories uh, to tell. And uh, you do a good job at that, both in the D&D books as well as in these conversations. So thanks, Ari. I I couldn't not talk about them. So thanks for the opportunity. (laughs) Uh, Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Ari. And if people want to tell you all about their wishes or maybe... Uh, wish for things uh, with you. Uh, how can they do that? 
uh, at Ari Levitch. I do not grant wishes, just, just to be clear. But, <laughs> but yeah, may, at Ari Levitch on Twitter. You may show what a what a wish tone looks like, uh, <laughs> but that's you know we know you're not a genie uh, yeah. yet. Yet, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. We'll be back with some more fun stuff coming up. Sounds good. I love speaking to Ari as always, and his favorite characters uh, and NPCs, the Briganox, are probably going to be uh, a real big part of my campaign because uh, I thought it was such a really cool idea how they operate. And with my daughter playing a fairy, the Briganox are going to be about the same size. So oh. it makes perfect sense. And I love that you were inspired by your own segment. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Just like the people listening. <laughs> That's the hope. That's the dream. Yes. Keeping it alive. Uh, speaking of being inspired by their D&D play, I mean, I can't come up with a better segue than that to speak to yeah. Joe. So let's get him on the horn. Let's welcome Joe Wiseman to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay. Thank you, guys. Thank That's- you, guys. I'm so excited to be here. This is so fun. This uh, is fun. Well, say that now. <laughs> We're going to ask you 13 minutes into it see if you have the same answer. <laughs> oh, we're oh, we, so excited to have I, you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I've been listening to this podcast for years, and I've been a lifelong D&D player and fan and all that jazz. So this is, this is really fun for me. Well, That's as so it great. turns out, looking at your bio, I have been a fan of your work for years, too, although I didn't oh, know you. that... Um, that was you involved in these wonderful <laughs> shows. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, New Girl, The Office, Just Shoot Me, mm. and most recently, a new show, Ghosts. Ghosts, yes. Ghosts on CBS. Uh, it's based on a British series, also called Ghosts, which uh, I am a huge fan of and adore, and so I wanted to do them right. Uh, I have a writing partner, and CBS came to us and asked us to adapt it, and uh they, they sent over the link and I watched the first five minutes and I was like, I'm in. I, I, I loved it right away. It's a very uh, sort of, uh, uh, it's a very beautifully shot show, the English one. And I, I hope we, 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 we did the same. Uh, but it's, I, I liked it because it's very, it has hard jokes. It's super funny, but it's also like not mean. It's very like not mean spirited. It's uh, very gentle. It's sort okay. of like, we think of it as like uh, what we do in the shadows meets Ted Lasso sort of in tone is sort of oh. our, our, our goal. Yeah. Oh, that's a good Two comparison. excellent yeah. comps. Yeah. I like how you said mean spirited too. That's very. Uh, uh, that was unintended. <laughs> but I'm, I'm uh-huh. glad you caught that. <laughs> yeah. So the basic premise is that there's two, uh, a couple inherits a mansion that is embodied by several ghosts. Lots uh, of ghosts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Ghosts who have lived on the property and died throughout the years. Uh, and uh, the audience in the pilot, the audience can see them. They can't. She has a near death experience which comes back from the hospital, she can now see and interact with all the ghosts, which proves to be sort of uh, a burden and a blessing uh, as, as we go forward in series. Yeah. Yes, they are very needy. Uh, they are. They're, they're sort of like, there's an episode <laughs> early on where she's kind of like, this is cool. It's like a, it's like a council of elders. who have, And then basically at the end, she's like, no, it's, it's a bunch of children. I live with a yeah. bunch of children who are, are, need a bunch of stuff and are going to annoy me. 
Yeah. It's a great uh, sitcom setup for sure, right? Like you've got it's it almost is. it's got the elements of like workplace comedy where it's like people put together and they don't know uh, how to interact with each other and they're very you know very diverse backgrounds, which which yeah. is ripe for lots of different plot lines, right? Yeah, for sure. I think in fact that's sort of how we've sort of been approaching it is as it's kind of like a an, a workplace comedy because it's a bunch of people who are all stuck together uh, and people who come from disparate backgrounds and in our case from even different time periods. Uh, and from the from the husband's point of view, we always look at it as like, you know, you come home and you hear about your spouse's work and you 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 hear, you know, you hear stories about everyone, but you don't really meet them or see them. And and that's sort of like his his existence is sort of just having to hear about these people and without ever actually getting to meet them. Yeah, which I is like. what led us to this episode because we were the challenge with that character who uh, his name is Jay and he's played by Uktarsh Umbukar, which I know you guys are familiar with because he is a big D and D fan and I believe was in like a Force Gray yeah. like, role play. Yeah, yeah. That's so right. he was ex- yeah. he was excited for this episode, and you know one one of our challenges as the writers is sort of like getting him involved with the ghosts, even though he can't see or hear them. Uh, so we thought it was a fun idea early on. Uh, you know, my riding partner knows that I'm a big D&D fan and I've been playing a lot of D&D, especially since the pandemic, because it was sort of like a, a lifeline for all sorts of different reasons. Um, but if if Jay and one of our ghosts who uh, died in the 80s and was also a huge D&D fan learned that they can play together using Sam, Samantha, the wife, sort of as an intermediary, she will sort of like you know, the ghost can hear Jay, obviously, but the whatever whatever Pete, the ghost, wants to do, Sam has to translate. Uh, so it seemed like a fun sort of setup. Now, she turns out that she's not as into D&D as, as, as Pete or Jay, which is fine. It's not, not necessarily for everyone, but she kind of gets roped into this thing. It's so funny because my, my wife, it's somewhat similar. I've, I've since then roped my wife into the family campaign and she loves it. But, you know, early on, it's kind of hard for people to understand, you know, you play this game for hours and I would come, you know, downstairs and she'd be like, so did you win? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. well, you don't really win. It's sort of this thing that just kind of keeps going Is on for over? a while. And yeah. It's like, so, <laughs> right. So you didn't win. I'm like, no, it's just, it just keeps going and going. So she sort of realizes that she's signed up for more than than she may have bargained for at the beginning and tries to sort of finagle her way out of it. That mirrors yes. like basically my life as well. Uh, mm. Wife is very much not a, a gamer or into the tropes of, of fantasy. And so it was, uh, it's, it's, it's pulling teeth trying to get her to get down to the table uh, yeah. for sure. I think she's got some ADD issues as well. So that, oh, that, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't oh, really fine. help either around the table. Um, but yeah, I definitely saw my, my relationship there mirrored uh, in, in, in Jay's and. Uh, oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad it's, it's, you know, it felt, because uh, it felt real to me. So I'm glad I had the same experience. I've been, you know, the secret is, is, and I'm sure you're on this, is getting the kids really into it. That's ultimately mm-hmm. what, what pulled my wife into it because. Yeah. Again, during the pandemic, when it was all of us in the house, I would sort of disappear with the kids for hours at a time, and they just loved the game. Both of them sort of jumped like headfirst into it, and so she got kind of jealous. I think at first it was kind of oh, nice. I'm like that, that was, sounds amazing. Are you yeah, kidding? Yeah, I have to say, I think that was her first reaction. Was like, <laughs> okay, you guys go do that, and I'm just gonna like watch TV and yeah. scroll on the internet. But then she sort of like we would she would hear us sort of talking about like the sessions and whatnot, and, and oh, yeah. kind of kind of wanted to get in on the action as well. Oh, I love it. So you have a, a family game happening still? Um, so 
the show getting picked up was both a great blessing, obviously. It's something I've been striving to do for a long time, but it really kind of cut into my Dungeons and Dragons uh, time, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so I, I was actually, at, at the time it got picked up, I was involved in four different games. I had sort of my family game. Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, Quinn. Uh, I, so I had four different games. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm used to that. I'm used to that. <laughs> <laughs> I had the so I had the family game, which uh, which we started before the pandemic. That was something mm-hmm. we would try to do, uh, you know, once a week if I could swing it. Um, and then uh, when the pandemic hit, you know, everything moved to Zoom, which was sort of, you know, at first seems sort of like oh, how will then? But it turned out it actually it works out great, as everyone knows. And um, I was able to reconnect with my original fr- group of friends. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Uh, you know, in like the, the 80s, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was able to regroup with uh, my best friend who introduced me to the game and he had a campaign. Oh. So I I know, and so at first it was just sort of like, oh, I'll play once or twice. And then I ended up playing in his campaign once a week for over a year. And it was just wow. really fun just to reconnect with all the friends and play with, play with the people who sort of brought me into the game. Um, and then the other thing uh, I started was uh, my son, who I think was nine and a half, 10 at the time, really loved the game and wanted to play with his friends. So I, I started DMing for a group of his friends from school. And so I think it was like five, some people fell in and out, but it was basically a group of like five to six, you know, uh, fifth graders at the time. And that was just a blast. Like they, they were all so into the game and it was interesting to sort of, uh, see it from a kid's perspective and then play in adult games and sort of see what the differences were. Um, but it was it was just a really nice way for my son to connect with all his friends, and then for me to connect with my son. Like you know, yeah. I, I was I was the DM, and uh, you know, he would always sort of like run upstairs after the sessions, and sort of <laughs> we would talk about like what he liked and what he didn't like, and uh, you know, where he was hoping the campaign would go and everything. And, and he they, gave, they and he gave you some notes. <laughs> he gave me some notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I was like, oh, good, more notes, more notes. This is what I need. Uh, and then actually one of uh, the father of one of the kids uh, who, who uh, was playing in that game would always, he was a huge D&D fan and he would oh, cool. sort of like sit off screen and I would hear him sometimes, you know, like, make him your marked enemy. He would sort of like oh. yell, yell at, and so Stage after a while, dad. It was, it was, <laughs> and it's really cute. Uh, and then after a while, he emailed me and was like, would you want to DM a game for, for me and a couple other dads and a couple of his, I ended up like, making new friends. So it was like this cool so sort cool. of like old friends, new friends, family, uh, and kids. And so it was sort of, so I was, I was probably playing too much Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if, no. that's, if that's something that you guys think is even possible. Mm-hmm. I was, I was definitely, uh, writing the envelope <laughs> on that. Uh, and then the show got picked up and I just got, you know, way too busy. And then we actually shoot the show in Montreal and I had to go there oh, for a few wondering. months. So I have been uh, out of the game uh, figuratively and literally for uh, a few months now. Uh, and we just got picked up for more episodes, which, of course, oh, congratulations. super That's thrilled great. about. Thank you. Thank you. But now I'm sort of like Uh-oh. I'm back in sort of like frantic mode and we'll have to go back to Canada for about a month Uh but then that's that's it for the season. So I cannot wait to sort of uh, when I whenever I'm at the school, uh, a couple of his friends are always like, that's when's cool. the game? Like, yeah, they're they're sort of like, you better be really careful. Good. They're going to write to CBS and 
Try to get your show canceled. Amen. 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 Well, I love that you were able to get your D and D fix by uh, telling this story about it in this episode. You know. Yes. You, oh, that was yes, yes. It was so much fun. It was so much fun because, like, you know, when it sort of uh, the script came out and we started sort of like having the uh, pre-production meetings on it and everything, a lot of people on the crew were sort of like, "Hey, I play," or "My son plays." Uh, and people were sort of coming out of the woodwork and were really excited about it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So we hear that a lot. Um, we And so I guess you're you're the showrunner for Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Is that your... Okay, because we've yeah, heard... Correct. We've talked to other people who work in, in your industry and they have often equated showrunning with dungeon mastering. So there's there a lot are, of similarities. You know what? There are. And, and both have helped the other, I think. Mm. You know, um, the one uh, burden of showrunning and DMing, DMing is that you're the one person who has to pay attention the whole time, no matter what. There's no sort of like checking out ever. Um, but um, it obviously, you know, DMing is, has been sort of like, you know, as you, as you guys say, it's sort of, D&D is collaborative storytelling. And that's kind of what goes on in a writer's room as well. It's like mm-hmm. you're sitting down at a table and you hopefully have assembled a bunch of people who have different perspectives and will have sort of like different thoughts on the stories. And it's sort of being able to listen and hear everything and find nuggets. Um, preparation has also like, you know, uh, for me, I, I'm sure there's lots of DMs who can just sort of sit down and wing it. I'm more of the, I need to sort of have a game plan and it's, you know, obviously those often go awry, but it, it's with, I found the, the similar with show running. It's like, you really have to sit down and you have to do your homework ahead of time and you have to prep. And the, the big thing that sort of, I think show running helped with my DMing was in delegating. Uh, I have found, like in the uh, the game I was running with uh, the adults from 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 school and, and and elsewhere, they wanted to start off at like a high level, and I was, you know, I I hadn't DM'd in a while, so but there was just so many like rules and conditions and everything to keep track of that. I, at one point, I I handed all that to the players. I was like, I can't track everything, so I'll I'll track hit points, uh, you know, I'll track, you know, the, the monsters, stats, all that stuff. But if you have sort of have a condition going on, if you're hasted or if you're blessed or you, you are the ones, if I miss it, that's, that's on you. So it was sort of like very helpful to sort of like, I don't need that because it, it was stressing me out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, it was, it was, it, it was almost chewing into the, like the, the, the fun, the aggregate fun of the whole thing. Uh, so that was actually sort of a nice thing because, you know, show running is all about delegating as well. You assemble the team and then you sort of like trust people to sort of do the job because there's just too much to do. And, and, and that was a big sort of like watershed moment for me in, in DMing is sort of like, Oh God, I can, I can sort of hand off some of this almost administrative, administrative uh, stuff to, to my players. And that was, that was wonderful. That's a great piece of advice. I think, you know, when new, new DMs are coming into it, they're like, oh, there's so much to handle. And, and you know, I think even in discussions with Shelly, I've been like, well, you know, what if I don't know the rule? And you're like, well, you can kind of off put a lot of that labor onto your players. You'll, there's invariably going to be a pair, player at the table who will know the rule that you're looking for. Uh, and so just lean on them and let them, you know, be a part of that and, 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 and contribute to the thing. And I think I love tracking of conditions as a way to also do that. You know, I've had players who um, did the initiative for the DM, uh, you know, and other things in, in earlier uh, editions of the game, you know, when, when initiative tracking was a much bigger bigger deal in 3.5. Uh, so I remember offloading that to to players, and that just worked really, really well. And so, you know, you can kind of 
cater your dungeon mastering to the things that you're good at and, and offload the stuff that you're not good at. And I love that that's similar to, to, to running a show. Absolutely. And you know what it was for me? It was the, the kids started doing that. The kids would, uh-huh. if I missed something, two or three of them would be like, um, no, you missed that I have this and this. And so I was like, sort of uh-huh. like, oh God, they're really able to pay attention to all this stuff better than me. And, I, and like you say, you can, you can cater it. Like I'm sure some dungeon masters love like keeping track of all that stuff. Uh, and uh, so it's like if you, you absolutely don't have to hand off that uh, responsibility. But for me, that was sort of like a, almost like a, a, a relief to be able to uh, not worry about it so much during combat. Yeah, um, I want sure. to talk a little bit more about the um, show running too because you mentioned the the set dressing for uh, for this episode in particular. I, On point. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> because of course I own so many of those things too. So yeah. I was like, I oh, there's that. There's that. I even put the statue to uh, of uh, the uh, walking statues for Liber- uh, Waterdeep because I was like, oh, that was in a shot. It wasn't really uh, featured, but it's in the background, and I could see it behind. I think it's Utkarsh's head as he's sitting down somewhere, and I'm like, oh yeah. Yep. That's so funny because it, it, that actually was on set, uh, and it took me a couple of weeks to notice it because the, you, the, you know, the script was in the pipeline for a little bit, and they knew that uh, Utarsh's character was into D anD D. So they, the the room where they watch TV, it's uh, uh, Thorfinn's room. Thorfinn is our sort of Viking ghost character, uh, <laughs> but it's sort of like the where the TV room is. So they spend a lot of time in there. If we, if we have big ghost scenes, we either in the living room uh, or in Thor's room, and so they. They, that kind of became like Jay's kind of like hangout room. And so they've, they've started putting all sorts of minis all over the place. And the walking statue mini was there for a while. And I always just assume, you know, there's all sorts of tchotchkes from, you know, it almost looks like an antique store, the set. And I just kind yeah. of assumed that it was just some statue. And then I was like, wait a second. That's the, it was like, <laughs> that's even better. So yeah. So eagle eyed viewers will, especially in that room, will notice there's, there's minis sort of all over the place. Uh, and then there was a lot of discussion, and a lot of meetings over like sort of what the D and D game is supposed to look like in that episode. And uh, uh, our our, our uh, production designer, her son, uh, is way into the game. So mm-hmm. and she had she didn't know any. So like he actually weighed in a lot. But they oh. had they had me come and sort of make sure it like it all made sense. And I was sort of like I I do there I I did I I have one regret uh, in the. Uh, Early on in the, in the in the episode, he's playing online. The sort of conceit of the of the episode is he's he's been able to uh, his his character feels very disconnected because they lived in New York City. They've now moved to uh, upstate New York to sort of like or the Hudson Valley, um, and so he feels very disconnected from uh, his life. And she does too, but she also has these eight ghosts that she can talk to. But he's very isolated. Um, so he's been continuing to play Dungeons and Dragons online with his friends, but the rural, the rural internet sort of like keeps going in and out and it's frustrating his friends so much that they decide to kill his character <laughs> off and replace him with someone who's in New York. Um, and so the, I remember we were doing the set dressing for his friends for their table and it, I was like, everything's there, the, the DM screen, the minis, there's the map. And I was like, oh, there's something that's bugging me. But I was like, I, okay. And then like, we literally wrapped and we're moving on. And I was like, snacks. Uh. <laughs> I was like, I was like, if there, there should be bowls of chips and soda. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, so mad at myself. I was like, the one thing that like is at every table is just like unhealthy snacks. And I was like, so I was, I was mad. Every time I watched that scene, I'm sort of like, I don't, no one notices. That there's no snacks. <laughs> but we did. 
a oh, bowl right. of orange things there yes. that are being consumed in, in various ways. Yeah. They can't yeah. CGI that stuff into the episode. <laughs> I, I, my, our, our line producer, I think, would sort of chew me out for when she would not think that's money well spent. But we did. We shot uh, Uktarsh's side of it a couple of days later. So we wrote in that he himself was eating uh, a, oh, a family-sized bag of chips himself. <laughs> right. That I works. I remember that, totally that joke. Works. That was good. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I love to. Uh, well, there's two things about that opening scene that I like. But uh, was the Zoom uh, appearance when the internet's going down? That's a hard thing to do, and you guys pulled it off really well to make oh, it look okay, like fuzzy. And then, and then all of a sudden, hearing the you know the uh, conversation that Hitch or that Utkarsh wasn't supposed to hear, yep. uh, and and all that, uh, you know, I felt very much in a, in the now when that happened uh, because of all the Zoom meetings and things that we've been doing over the years. For sure. Um, and For then the sure. other thing is that it was character's name was Hitch, which is the character that he played during Force Grey. Uh, and I think I mentioned to someone else here at Wizards, and they were like, you're probably like the only person who watched that and I, will get that that's a reference to anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was a personal request. Uh, Uktarsh texted us saying, can my character's name be Hitch? And we're like, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Why not? Why not? Wow. So now, canonically, he's dead, though. I know. Dead. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. If only there was some way to resurrect a D&D character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, tell him Greg definitely appreciated that. You were very excited. I will. I will. Yeah, I will. For sure. I don't know if you'll remember me, but I did get him a six-pack of Red Bull, I think, at one of the D&D live shows sure. that we did. Uh, I think it was the Lost episode at the Egyptian uh, when he oh, played cool. in, in a, you know, the big uh, theater in front yeah, of a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of people. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. Uh, Greg, you and I met very, very briefly. Uh, I uh, I had I sort of stumbled into a game with uh, Nathan Stewart a few years uh-huh. back, and he was nice enough to invite me to the stream of many eyes. Oh. And I was like, so, which was incredible. And uh, I remember like I was meeting all these people. I was recognizing, I, I recognized you. And but I, was, I was sitting on the set and I was like, hey, you're Greg Keaton. And you're like, you need to leave right now. And I was like, what? <laughs> and basically, what, we were about, you were about to go live. And you had, for months, it was, I mean, the set was incredible. I, I was sitting there and it's like, you, you didn't want some guy in a t-shirt and jeans like sitting in the middle of your set when you had all these people in costumes there. <laughs> but that was, oh. that, whole, that whole event was so much fun. And, and uh, it's nice to, nice to meet you again and, uh, properly when you have time to chat. Right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I remember that now. Uh, I, th- you know, there were so many moments during that when you're, you know, you know when you're in like show oh, shoot mood oh, and you're production. like, okay. yeah, you got to get people out of the way. Absolutely. God, I love that I you. Uh, I, we're there at that event. I, I still think about that as like the swan song of 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 uh, what I was doing as far as making events happen for D anD D because of that set. It just was. Uh, it was you know, so cool. Transported to a whole other place. For real, for real. Yeah, no, there's so many cool people there. Yeah, I met Ed Greenwood and Chris Perkins, and it was just like, yeah, that was a really a, a fun place to sort of geek out. Nice, for sure. I, I love Definitely. that you got to see it. Hopefully, we'll see another you know another show set in Waterdeep soon. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, or or fun. another fantasy city. You know, like I, I love uh, bringing that stuff to life uh, for sure. Um, and you know, I think that's uh, that amount of set dressing and fun is is really brought to ghosts as well. Like I really just like. Uh, how each of the characters feel very much in their reality, you know, like you know, the Native American is definitely yep. uh, uh, still in in the, how he looks, and the British yep. soldiers and the American soldiers, uh, <laughs> all that stuff. The guy with the uh, you mentioned the the uh, scout leader who was killed in the eighties yeah. uh, has the arrow through his neck. Yeah, it's it, so um, the production team is incredible because even though it's the show about ghosts, we we 
we wanted to be like realistic and we wanted to be sort of like truth. So all the costumes were very like meticulously sort of uh, 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 researched and made. You know, we wanted to make sure, uh, you know, uh, Sasapis, who's our native character, we wanted to make sure that was sort of uh, authentic and everything. And all, you know, the the, the guy who uh, in one episode, they, they who looks like Hamilton, uh, which he, he turns out he knew Hamilton and is, is furious that he's famous. <laughs> um, but all that stuff, like we just want to make sure. Yeah, it's a fun, we have a sort of almost a, a series runner now where as he finds out how famous Hamilton was, he can't believe it. He's like, that little twerp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was sad so that uh, Rebecca Wasaki was not in this uh, episode. Uh, she, I, I, another strange connection. I was crew for a Broadway show that she was in called The Bitter no Tears of Petra Von Kant like years what? ago. And I don't, she probably won't remember this, but this is the prop this uh, oh my god! This letter oh opener. God. I just thought it was the coolest letter opener in the world. That's and when the terrifying. show closed after only like two weeks because it, it, it didn't uh, get reviewed very well. Uh, but I was like, oh, I'm I'm yanking this. This is my letter opener for forever. And here, twenty years later, I still have it. Oh, that's so funny. Very yeah, no, strange. She, she's uh, incredible. She plays Hetty. Sort of. She's the. Uh, uh, gilded age sort of wife of a robber baron ghost who built the house and she's sort of the matriarch of the house uh, oh. and she's incredible it's like you know we have there's we have the the two livings and then we have the eight ghosts and it's just it's a lot of characters to service every episode so uh there's a there's about more than half the episodes there's one or two ghosts who just aren't in it um, so yes unfortunately she was not in that episode but she's in plenty of others and she's incredible she's uh a wonderful actress and a, and a great person. Yeah, powerhouse. Yeah, and with an ensemble cast like that, you're always going to have ones that drop in and out. I've been rewatching a lot of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and you're always like, "Oh yeah, this one didn't have Geordi in it," or yeah, you know, there's no there's no Pulaski in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we only they only give us like I think it's slightly less than 21 minutes now to tell a whole story. So to you know to service 10 characters and tell a story and a B story and sometimes a runner, it's just sort of like someone's either not going to be in it or they're going to have three lines, you know, so. Yeah. That's <laughs> got to help. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, the, and, but, you know we, we spread the wealth and a lot of episodes are about, you know, like the, the, the episode you guys saw uh, featured heavily Isaac, the sort of revolutionary war. We sort of told his story. And so there's other episodes. Uh, we just shot one recently that features uh, Rebecca, uh, Hetty, uh, Rebecca Wasaki's character uh, quite heavily as well. So everyone, nice. everyone gets their turn in the spotlight. I love that. I love the way, because you, oh, sorry, Charlie, I keep cutting you off. You go. Just expressing my love for Isaac, the the ghost. Yeah. He's a great character. We have fun stuff uh, planned for him. We're going to bring Nigel, the the revolutionary war British ghost uh, that he sort of uh, was talking to in that episode. We want to bring him back and continue that relationship. Please. Oh, you must. You have to. Yes. Yes, we're, 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 we're writing we're writing an episode <laughs> that does that just now, right now. <laughs> oh, fun. It'll be fun. So great. Yeah. yeah. I, and in a lot of uh, sitcoms, there's an A a plot and a B plot, as you were saying. They don't always intersect really well. And I love that this episode actually does uh, have the two of them have a resolution that is is very much hand-in-hand uh, hand, uh, with that beautiful line that I think, I love how the audience knows what the joke is going to be before the characters do. If only there was some way to, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, simulate a, a battle. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that it was Dungeons and Dragons that ultimately helped, yeah, resolve the other story in this. It was, uh, that was fun. It's yep. so great. It was very, very clever. At what point did you know that you were going to do a, a D&D episode? You know, um, when you, when we, 
we shot a pilot and they didn't know if we were going to do it anymore. And when you, when you turn in the pilot, they make you come up with like 10 sort of like, you know, three line episode ideas. And I think that was in the original story packet. I think, I think my writing partner is also named Joe. So I'll, I often refer to Joe and I'm not talking about myself. Uh, I think, <laughs> the writer I think, Joe. Uh, I think Joe and I sort of had that idea early on and thought it would be, I think it was just the idea was like, he plays D&D with Pete and we didn't know you know, exactly where it went or anything, but we thought it was, I think maybe we had the idea that, uh, that Sam kind of wasn't into it, but we, so it was pretty early on. Now, usually ideas in that story packet don't go anywhere. It's just sort of, but, um, but we had a handful that did. So we always liked that idea a lot. Um, and then I kept pushing it because I have a, a D&D agenda and <laughs> wanted to get it out in the world. We support that agenda. Figured, I figured you would be uh, yeah. sympathetic to that. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to talk more about that. The way you, uh, you're calling it a story packet, but I've heard of it called as like a pitch deck or, or you know, some type of a presentation about what the show is going to be like before it gets picked up, right? Yep. I've heard a lot about that recently. I'm, I'm working on one of my own, uh, as well as, uh, you know, I've seen like the Stranger Things one where it was called Montauk and, 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 yeah. and, 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 and how they put it all together and, and uh, you know, portrayed the, the important parts of that thing. Um, the thing that always strikes me when I'm researching that type of stuff is how similar it is to an adventure book that D and D puts together, or you know the the, the DM's yeah. notes for their campaign. It really is yeah. things that threads that I may touch on or later or may not, as you said. Like you know, they don't always end up turning into an actual uh, piece of episodic television. So yeah, has that has that skill set transferred back and forth between your your DMing and your show running? Absolutely, because like you, like you said, it's it's very much the same. It's you or you when you are sort of creating a show, you're you're world building. It's like okay, what is the setting of the show you're going to be in? What are the major forces at play? And then of course, it all comes down to character, which has become you know I, when I started playing D anD D, it was it was you know mostly just about combat. It was you know there was the setup. I I, I played basic and mm. uh, you know first edition. And, you know, literally experience was tied to treasure. So it was literally almost like go into a room, kill the monster, get the treasure. And, and what I love about sort of the evolution of D&D and what you guys have done so wonderfully with, with 5e is sort of made it more about the other pillars, you know, the exploration and role playing, which I think is so huge. And so it's all about the character. And when me and my writing partner sit down to write a pilot, that's usually the first thing we think about is like, who are the characters and what do they want? And, and it's, it's, you know, it's funny, like it's, it's almost like putting together like a, a, a party. And whereas early on, you know, in D and D you would think like, well, you have to have a fighter, you have to have a cleric, you have to have a magic user and a thief. Now it's, I think it's more important to think about what personalities you have. Like if you ended up with a party with four clerics, that's fine, but it's 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 it'd be more sort of like what their personalities are and what they what they want. Um, and it's so funny, like even early on, I remember there were adventures where, like, like early early on, if you didn't have a thief, you couldn't advance past a room. <laughs> so it was just sort of like, well, that seems like a weird mechanic. So I like now that it's more like all that stuff is is less important. And obviously, all that stuff is there. You guys have so many subclasses and everything that you can sort of geek out and wonk out with the rules and everything. But you don't sort of get into these sort of like, you know, rules traps uh, where where if you don't have something, that's that's it, you know. Um, uh, so, but yeah, so I, I, I sort of got off track. But I was, yeah, I, I, equating sort of, yeah, world building three is like always starts with the characters. 
which is, I still think, what makes a great Dungeons & Dragons campaign and an adventure. And, you know, you think about who the villain is, who the baddie is, what they want, how they go about, you know, doing it. Uh, right. And, all, and you all, can have those like broad stuff. strokes and then realize that the writer's room and the, and the, and the, the collaborators that you bring to the table are going to fill in the blanks. 100%. Yeah. And things will change. It's like, you know, it, that's, it, that's also a thing, you know, when you start working on something is like, you can't sort of hang on to everything. It's, it's uh, the one thing I, and it's a balance too, because you want to care and you want to have things that are important to you, but you also want to be open to, you know, letting it become its own thing and move in directions that it's just naturally going to, going to, going to go in. I sort of, uh, I think almost every script we've ever written at some point along the way, my favorite joke just gets jettisoned. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, and it was both sort of like a comforting thing to sort of accept that, but also sort of an annoying thing, but it's just one of those, <laughs> but, but, but ultimately the joke isn't the most important thing. It's, it's the, the, it's the character and the story. Those are, those are the most important things. And there will be other jokes. And especially if you have a room full of funny people, you're, you're, you're going to find something that will be even, even, more funny because it'll be more relevant to the situation and the characters that are in that situation right now. It's a good lesson for everything. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, you, so you, these episodes are 21 minutes. Yes. But I, so I, that's a real good uh, skill for a writer, for a storyteller to be able to condense everything you need in 21 minutes. Cause I'm imagining that you're writing a lot more content <laughs> than what actually people are seeing in the episode. Yes, for sure. And, and, you know, and then when we produce it, you know, the, the, the cuts typically that I see are, you know, anywhere from three to five minutes longer, but which is actually good because you always get in and there's stuff that like, oh, you don't need that. The things that you don't need are, are obvious and jump out. But what the, 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 the upside of having a very small and specific amount of time to tell a story is that you really have to, uh, as you're writing it, you're like, what is this scene about? You really just have to know, like, what's the whole point? What is the point of this scene? What is the story value of this scene? And if it, if there is none, then either take it out or, or figure out what it is. So it, it does, it does sort of teach uh, an efficiency that, um, that I think is helpful, um, particularly for this, for this, you know, medium of, of, of television and, and network television in particular. Uh, I do feel like sometimes, you know, on streaming services, you know, for a half hour, you can get the whole half hour, which is also great. But sometimes I feel like you watch something and you're kind of like, they probably should have cut three or four minutes padding. out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes it's great. You know, it, it, there's no like great answer. But in our situation is that we just, ha we have that amount of time. And I do think it, you know, it forces you to sort of like really, like I say, be efficient and really sort of yeah. like make sure that you're using the time that you have, uh, you know, smartly. I bet Ted Lasso good. never cuts out Jason today because his favorite jokes. I bet not. <laughs> uh, how do you He's know? He's like, we can 45 minutes on an episode. I think they did. Uh, well, and, and, and that works for that show. You know, that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's great, you know. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, our show's on CBS, which is, you know, a traditional broadcast network. And it's, and it's one of the ones that's, you know, still sort of, we actually are on Paramount Plus as well, um, but I think, but I bet it's the same episodes you would see. So right. you know, we 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 are sort of adhering to the sort of old school. Here's here's our format. We have to have our act breaks in. I, I mean, Joe and I were uh, were writing a, another pilot for Netflix, and we turned in an outline with like act breaks and everything, and they were like, 
why do you have act breaks? Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. Huh? And I was like, I was like, I mean, dramatically, it helps me think like, okay, making sure something, and- yeah, exactly. And make sure the story is advancing and there's some big thing. But like, so I think we are still writing with act breaks, but then before we turn in the script, we're going to take them out. <laughs> so at least right. in our mind, we'll know what the sort of, what it, what it, what it looks like. Yeah. They're like, you we know, won't. we don't have commercials, right? <laughs> yes. I was <laughs> like, I don't want to be ridiculed again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, I like this corollary to thinking about the way Dungeons and Dragons is played now, because, you know, in the eighties and the, in the basic and the times that you were playing, Famously, they'd be like eight-hour sessions or ten-hour sessions. Everybody's eating, you know, pizza and snacks and blah blah blah, and it becomes like a whole day-long uh, affair. That's less true now, right? Because you yep. were even saying earlier with your with your family and all the games you're running, yep. you know, I think two hours has become kind of the standard because that's all we have in order to schedule into our lives on a weeknight. And you need a very different skill set to be able to get two hours of packed storytelling, you know, you want to get at least at least one encounter in there or, yeah. you know, if you're going a couple sessions that are just role-playing or exploration, you, know, you got to make sure you get combat and like try to mix it up. And that's a very different thing for a dungeon master to try to do than the sweeping, we're just going to play, you know, until our parents make us go home. That's a, re- that's a really good point because like it is sort of like the, when you have a session, you, you sort of, sit down and think the same thing as I was about like a, a scene. It's sort of like, what's the point of the session? What, what story are we advancing and in what manner? And then like, you see, yes, you, then you have a combat thing and hopefully, you know, you have some sort of interesting either mechanic or something that, that is not just hack and slash, although that is also as fun. Uh, but, but yeah, that, I, that, I, DMing the kids game actually was very helpful with that because their attention span just wasn't yeah. as long. You know, they don't mm-hmm. want to sit in front of the screen. And, you know, so those sessions were about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, the, the, I call it the dad session, even though that's not necessarily, the, that one I have to, I have to put a restrictor on because those guys are crazy. They'll just keep and they, going. They, they, <laughs> and the, the, typically the only night we could determine that we were all available was basically Sunday night. So we would start Sunday at six and then at midnight or one, I would be guys, Whoa. I don't know. And they were like, no, keep going. Oh, <laughs> so that I have to, God. I have to sort of like start, like I have to give them like a one hour warning <laughs> when I'm starting. I'm like, I got to get up tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's, it's really funny. It's, it's, it's invigorating because they get so excited for it. Uh, oh, but it's also good. interesting being in the two because I uh, uh, like there was a puzzle um, like, you yeah. know, it's fun to throw puzzles in and uh so there was one uh, I, I gleamed from one of the books and kind of dressed it. Uh, and the kids uh, enjoyed it. They solved it in like, I think, eight or nine minutes. And I oh, threw wow. the same one at the dads. And it was an hour and 15 minutes, almost <laughs> almost to the point where they were in tears. And it's just for whatever reason, they just they did, they did not have the same sort of like oh, uh, wow. problem solving. It was, it was really fascinating to watch. It was, yeah. uh, it was really fun. I was going to ask you earlier what sort of, because you mentioned that you got to see the differences in how kids play versus how adults play. So, I mean, maybe a one difference is adults tend to overthink everything and (laughs) take too long to solve puzzles. I think, yeah, they would get hung up on small details and be like, well, that must mean this and this. And I think the kids had more of a macro sort of like, well, let's just do this. Uh, The the one difference, uh, one, one big difference as a DM is sometimes like, you know, when when the kids started, they were like I say, I think nine and a half, ten, eleven ish in there, and uh, all great kids. But you know, disputes come up, and disputes on the table came up. And with that, sometimes it would just be then like, okay, then my character stabs you, <laughs> and and I would be like, and that was the only time as a DM I would be like, that just doesn't happen. 
like you say your character does that and but it just doesn't doesn't happen you need to figure out a different way to solve it that doesn't happen with the adult ones as much <laughs> there's probably more passive aggressive stuff but that was that was the that was the only thing with the kids it was like there was a few attempts at just outright killing each other that you just sort of had to step in and be like no we're not going to that's that's not going to happen in this that's game. So they were like and they were there and they're like and they were like okay <laughs> I've often give the piece of advice to DMs uh, for adult games when there's player conflict, like, oh yeah, resolve it, but resolve it in character mm. because then it'll be, it'll be a dramatic scene and you'll make it go forward. And that's taking that to the extreme, though. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they were they were doing it in character. They were just trying to cut right to the chase and, and murder each other. Yeah, that's, that's it's so funny too. Yeah, it's so funny because like you know, I I was you know letting them sort of like push where they wanted to go to and completely out of nowhere i forget how they they rescued like a lamb or something and then they decided they were going to be farmers and then <laughs> so they actually got land and then they came up with like a whole almost like business proposal of like how they're going to what they're going to grow what they're going to what livestock they're going to have what markets they and they they came up with like an advertising but all on their own i'm just sort of like what a strange and then at the same time they then go off they basically are adventuring to support their their farm. I think they wanted to become like very successful cheesemongers or something. <laughs> so it's oh. sort of like, okay, but it was, wow. but it's really fun. But like, it's one of those, you know, let the let the joy push. Like they were so excited about it. It's, that's uh, so funny. That's like that's the game I want to run. Is like the simulationist type game where they're running yeah. a business, but also have all this fantastical adventuring going on in the background. Oh yeah, and I've tried to push that on my dad group, and they're like, nah, we just want to bash things. It's like bash such things. a funny. Uh, contrast there. I want to play for your kids. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was really fun. You know, and then it actually makes great hooks because like they had like one of them was a baker and had this, I had him roll when he made the recipe and he rolled in 20. So like, I was like, these are, these are the best pies in the world. And that was, that was sort of like the heart of their business. And then, so of course I had someone steal the recipe and go, and then that was ended up being like a whole yes. adventure where they had to go into, I think into Waterdeep actually, and end up going into the Undermountain to try to find this guy who's trying to recipe. steal their, their pie recipe. <laughs> and they were so invested. Like they were really, really pissed at them. Yeah. Like he stole their pie recipe. That's not cool. <laughs> no. That's like stealing the secret recipe to KFC or Coke or something like that. Like, 100%. You gotta, you gotta uh, yeah. Be litigious about That's that. Excellent yes. idea. Yeah. No, and there were when they got to the city, there were people eating their pies, and they were like, "Where'd you get that?" You know, they had to, they had to like track it down, slapping like, it out of their face, like, "You yeah, me for that yeah. pie, ah. counterfeit, <laughs> counterfeit pies." I love this so much. That's such oh, that's a good so idea. Great. Yeah, I think that the going back to the pacing, I like that is a really obviously important part of a D and D campaign, yep. and maybe Greg that helps that would help with getting Aaron. Like knowing like where those, the the pace, is there, do you use a similar technique when you're DMing like that you would when like inserting those ad breaks into the show? Uh Is it something like you just innately know when to put that in or you can tell like, oh, the players are getting restless? That's a good question. You know, the, I think the only time I sort of sense it is sometimes, you know, sometimes combat can be a bit not laborious, but like it, especially, you know, if you have like five or six players and people are waiting for their turns, I think that's the only time I sort of like, will sort of press my foot on the accelerate pedal, pedal a little bit, you know, sort of I'll, I'll shave off, you know, 10 hit points from the monster just because yeah. I feel like the, the, it's dragon. the com- exactly. And the combat has, <laughs> will have fulfilled its sort of narrative, you know, role and being an obstacle and whatnot, but no, for the most part, um, 
I guess I'm not really, I'm not really sort of thinking about the pay. I guess that would be more in the prep. You know, I, I try to sort of in my mind, you know, if I'm doing one of the kids sessions, then it's easier because it's just sort of like, okay, one major plot point needs to be advanced. And then, you know, maybe I try to try to end it on some sort of like cliffhanger or promise of another thing. And then with the dad campaign, it's boy, it's, there's a few obstacles. A, I know they're going to want to go for six hours. So I'm like, okay, I don't know how many calendars <laughs> yeah. to have, but also like at the, uh, the higher levels, which is like its own other thing. It's like, sometimes the, you know, the combat it's, it's over in one round because you're just like, Oh God, I didn't realize, you know, I try to, I try to be familiar with other characters, but there's just, you know, each character has just so many traits. And when you start throwing feats into it and everything, they're just sort of like, Oh, I have this thing that will do this. And it's just like, Oh, okay. Then he's dead. Uh, <laughs> sort of, so I never know if those encounters are going to be two minutes or if it's going to be another puzzle that I've budgeted 10 minutes for, but it takes them an hour and a half. Um, so yeah. So I think, but I think, but I try to, I think that's where most of the, the, the sort of like pacing comes in is, is, is in the prep, just trying to guess how long something is going to take and yeah. going from there. Although the, 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 the really nice thing too, is the, the, the it's really fun when the role playing kind of takes off. Um, I think, I think it, there was one session I was doing with the dads and I just sort of, they had accomplished one of the goals and I just sort of written like, Oh, the, the queen will throw a banquet for them. And I thought that would, I thought that would almost just be that, like, it would be like, oh, and they ended up sort of like role-playing this, this whole thing. And it, one of, one of the, uh, uh, players in there is a aspiring, like hobgoblin chef who wants to sort of like spread hobgoblin cuisine. And he ended up sort of getting really into like what he was doing at the party and what he was, and it ended up being like an hour and a half of just role-playing at the oh party. My I had God, nothing they... planned. I love and that they wanted the, to go to the party. They did. Well, and they wanted to sort of like, and it was really like, it just, that's the, the best part when you can sort of like almost lean back and kick up your feet and just sort of like watch as things pop off around you and things are advanced, you know, uh, without your input is is really fun and satisfying and, and surprising. <laughs> yeah. You can get really good story ideas just from letting the players sure. take some time to just yep. interact with the NPCs and each other. Well, and actually, although I do find that's actually a great time to sort of like jot down notes. If someone mentions something about whether it's a hometown or some, their parent or something that you can then try to like bring back a session or two later. Uh, and their, their player will be sort of surprised because they're like, oh, wait, you, oh, you, yeah. you heard that specific or you heard, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, the players, if they're, you know, are really sort of participating in the role play aspect of it, will leave little crumbs that, uh, that you can sort of use for future story hooks or, 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 you know, ideas as well. That's, that's, that's back to the point where you, you usually have to be paying attention the whole time, which is exhausting. <laughs> it is exhausting, right? That is, is. Uh, mm -hmm. the dungeon mastering. I, I have, I go back and forth, right. Where I'm like, I love this because you're so yep. engaged the entire time. You feel like you're on the tip of your toes. You're almost like performing for, you know, however long this session is. And if it's going six hours, like that is, you know, very, very exhausting. Yep. Um, and then I go back and I'm like, yeah, I just want to be a player and, you know, mess shit up and, and, and have a good time with that. Uh, do you ever swing back on that pendulum? It sounds like you've been mostly <laughs> dungeon mastering since you've been playing the last few Yeah, years. The, 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 I was a, in, in the group with my old friends from Denver, I was just a player. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, and so that was like a nice, uh, uh, you know, relief from the, I think, I think, I, I think I like them both. DMing three campaigns at once was probably a little bit too taxing. Um, but I, but I do, but I, I honestly, I love playing and I love DMing. They both, 
are, uh, you know, exercise different parts of the brain. Um, but I think, you know, maybe just doing one of each, uh, but no, I, but I, 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 I definitely don't have to be, I know some people only want to play or only want to DM and I, I, I enjoy both. I enjoy both nice. a lot. What kind of characters do you gravitate towards playing? Ooh, I, I love magic users. You know, it's like, Yay. it's like, yeah, it's like, I mean, I would, I would love to be able to, you know, that's my fantasy is being able to do magic in real life. Me so too. I, yeah, no, that's, so that's, that's, it's hard to resist going to them, but you know, I, I've played, you know, I mean, Jesus, over 40 years, you know, everything, you know, uh, but yeah, I, I find I usually gravitate to, towards some sort of magic user. More of the, the bookish wizard or the sorcerer who, you know, blows stuff up. Usually the the bookish wizard, but I've I've tried a little bit of everything. I played a, a warlock for the first time uh, oh. a couple of, a few months ago, uh, and it was just it's yeah it's interesting how the different mechanic of magic you know works depending on the on the class. Um, and sometimes that can be that's another thing where I think sometimes people like that can be you know very sort of taxing trying to track either spell slots or or you know spell points or whatever and sometimes people like to just be like i'll just carry an axe and swing it <laughs> you know so right. it's, it's nice to be able to find where your comfort niche is and and uh just dive in um question yes what what celebrities do you hate just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a kidding. question for you here. Who do you yeah. hate? Who's just the worst? On, like, who's in my show in particular? Well, let's see. Uh... <laughs> do you know any of the Real Housewives? No. Okay. I'll, for real. For real, for real. Um, do you think... When uh, this question is inspired by the thought of, of the dads wanting to go to the banquet and hanging out there for an hour and a half... If in the writer's room, you the the group is stuck on a story point or you can't figure out what, where to take something, do you think like there's a place where you could just be like, all right, role play it. Like everybody, like just let's just act like role play this and uh, and see like what sorts of things come out of it. Just just be natural and. That is actually a great suggestion. I'm I'm almost a little embarrassed that that's never occurred to me before. That's that's actually a great idea. Like, oh, you're, you're, like right. you're saying, like, okay, you're Jay, you're Thor. Yeah, like you're, let's just like, play let's and see what, what happens. happens. That's really fun. No, I've I've never tried that. Maybe I'll, like maybe DM I'll try them that this afternoon. DM the writers. You have to. You're working <laughs> this afternoon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. We're, we're, we're we have a. Are you in the middle? Are you in the middle of work right now? Do, do I the, stepped have, out. I stepped <laughs> out of the room. So it would be funny if I came back and I'm like, okay, everyone, <laughs> we're gonna. We're gonna <laughs> Get your dice. Use your character yes. for, for Jay. I'm curious. <laughs> Let me, I would love to know if if that if that worked or if everybody just stares at you like, what? What do you want it's me to funny, do? It's funny because I mean, you do a little of that when you when you when you like when you pitch. I tend yeah. to try to like you know pitch in their voice uh, of the character, anyways, and whatnot. But um, but yeah, no. But that's actually a really. I, I, I'm fascinated. I don't know what would happen. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure part of it depends, obviously, on who was doing it. You know, a lot of. Writers come from improv backgrounds, and uh, uh, and, and some aren't. Uh, but uh, yeah, that'd be. I have not tried that, but I I, lo- I love that idea. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that you know, it seems that there is a lot of improv and comedy kind of in the background for a lot of the writers, but not all of them, right? And so, not all of them. Yeah, yeah. You might you might get some people who have never done it before and be like, oh wait, I actually like this. Uh, you yep. know, similar to the way. 
you know, people have done that with Dungeons and Dragons, right? Where they're like, oh, I don't know if I'm into it. And then they sit down for a session or two and then they get hooked. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that also is related to the question that I was going to ask, which was, uh, which character class are all of the characters in Ghosts? Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. That's a great question. Well, Thorfinn is probably a barbarian. Like, yeah, that's, that's probably the one pretty, I thought of, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. I think... Uh, I think Samantha, the 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 main living, the, the the woman who can see the ghost, she probably would be like a wizard. She's very mm-hmm. sort of like meticulous and organized and studious. Um, let's see here, Uktarsh. He's, I mean, he's a rogue. He's mm. sort of, uh, you know, very laid back. Uh, but, as was uh, Hitch. As was Hitch. Yeah, oh, that's right. Funny. Hitch was Hitch was a rogue. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, what else would there be? Let's see here. I guess uh, Pete, he's our sort of, we have to call him a nature trooper because the the, the other group, I guess, is litigious. <laughs> uh, so he would probably be some sort of uh, ranger, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, or could be a druid. Um, so Sapis might be a druid. Uh, let's see. Oh, Alberta. She would be uh, a bard. She's our right, sort of singer. 1920s yeah. lounge, lounge singer for sure. Um, who else? And what else am I forgetting? What about my boy uh, Isaac? Oh, Isaac. Isaac. Yeah, that's a good question. He so so Isaac is very sort of like pompous and full of himself. That screams um, paladin to me. Does it, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, you know what? He would be a paladin because he was also like yeah, he, he was a, an officer in the army. And uh yeah, I yeah. think paladin is, is, that is tracks. great. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's We have a hippie. So um, There's your druid. Yeah, there's your druid. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like I'm forgetting. Who's the ghost that doesn't wear pants? Where's, oh, yeah. That, that's Trevor. He's Trevor. our sort of like late 1990s, early 2000s sort of Wall Street bro. Yeah. Uh, who died without <laughs> pants. Uh, we have not explained that yet. There's been a lot of discussion in the room was, about uh, you end up like that. And we have some fun ideas. We haven't committed to any of them yet. But uh, but yeah. I feel like he's a yeah. big fan of Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> he could, he'd be very well could be. I think, I think in one uh, episode he references... Um, oh no, who did he reference? Now I'm, now I'm blanking on it. Uh, oh gosh, I'll think of it in a minute. But he's it wasn't more, Huey Lewis. It's like it's, yeah. more bro music. What's like... I was thinking more of the Patrick uh, Bateman kind of American Psycho connection there. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. But I don't know what class that would be. I don't know. Uh, uh, businessman. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, businessman. Uh, not he might sure. be a rogue as well. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I think that's apt. Uh, oh, I think it was Blues Travelers that he mentioned. He mentioned uh, that he saw, <laughs> saw Blues Travelers at Red Rocks. No big deal. <laughs> he's always, no big he's always deal. dropping. No big yeah. deal. Whatever. <laughs> blues Traveler came to my college. Okay. Oh, nice. So, nice. Yeah. Also in upstate uh, New York. Both, as I was to say, both of you <laughs> yes. are from upstate New York, right? The, the, the show takes place in the, in the Hudson Valley uh, near yeah. a, uh, un, it's like basically an unnamed or uh, not a non-specific little town up there. But uh but uh, yeah, yeah. We, when uh, I wasn't sure because I didn't, I hadn't seen the pilot, so I wasn't sure exactly where it was. But it did also feel very Pacific Northwest to me. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, maybe it was because I was just thinking of the it was the, what well, was the British and the, the back, American, yeah uh, the, connection. The cottage it didn't seem in like the they were um, 
enemies quite so much uh, sure. in this episode. And that sure. I, don't, I just learned some of the history about there was during the Revolutionary War or, or soon after, there were Pacific Northwest, there was uh, uh, um, in Seattle area, um, British and Americans who had a very similar kind of almost collegial relationship. Or like, oh, interesting. Well, you're over okay. there, we're over here, we're going to live on this island and fight it out in a border dispute for like decades. But they interesting, had a, but it's sort of like a... It's very yeah. Seattle. Yeah. Oh, I have no like, idea. I know, I know. That's, that's really cool. I love all that stuff. My, my writing partner was a history uh, major and I like all that history stuff. So this was a fun... When we sat down to sort of come up with the characters, it was fun to sort of like talk out different regions and then sort of like talk out like what historical stuff happened there and who would be interesting to sort of like uh, have. I knew ultimately we, when we found out that Vikings were in North America about a thousand years ago, uh, but it was in mostly Canada, but they, there, there was a lot of evidence that they came down the coast and would do sort of like sorties inland. So we, we, we realistically placed a, uh, a wandering Viking in in upstate New York, and once we sort of came up with that, we're like, okay, let's let's start with that because <laughs> that seems like a sort of fun, unexpected, and it oh, is. Yeah. It's like it's it's almost a handicap because I don't know that I can write a show now where you can't just randomly cut to a Viking who screams something. <laughs> it's such a <laughs> it's such a like crutch now. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and the reason I asked that leading question too about the classes is because I feel I feel like this could be a very interesting. Uh, a D&D campaign, right? The way you could like world build around different spirits caught in one location. And then all of a sudden you could tell the different history of your fantasy world through these spirits. It could be a session. It could be, you know, a more of a role-playing type thing that is in a part of a larger campaign or it can be the whole campaign itself. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think that's really cool. Uh, All right. So that's it. We're going to make another uh, homework assignment. The official ghosts RPG, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) A module for everyone to try out. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, have, to do, we'll have to do a deck to present. To present yes. Sir. But, oh, uh, there we'll you go. Yeah, yeah, the pitch yeah. deck. <laughs> I'm, I will pose for all of the character portraits in cosplay <laughs> for you. There you go. It'll be fun. Well, thanks for taking the time uh, to talk through all this. I love uh, this episode. I love the ghosts. I love all of your history about uh, playing, uh, you know, from the day, back in the day to now and all of the different campaigns you've got going on and hopefully can get back to i'm, um, I'm like yeah yes. and, and i think beginning new year i think we'll be done shooting around december right before christmas so in the new Perfect. year i'm gonna start playing too much dnd again <laughs> Good. But thank you thank you for having me this has been so much fun i really enjoy yes talking it's with been you too. it's been great i'm so glad that we got to meet you when great. Can you, can oh, you, oh god i was just gonna say can you confirm when this episode is gonna be broadcast so the folks can yes. check it out absolutely so this episode airs uh i believe november 18th um, and it's nine Eastern, uh, eight Central uh, on CBS, and then we are also on Paramount Plus. Um, and we're on. There's episodes that air every Thursday, so if, you know I encourage you to check out every episode. But uh, for D and D specific content, uh, November 18th is is the day that it drops. And I think you can, you know, if you don't get CBS, I think you can go to CBS.com as well. Um, and I think they they're receiving. Uh, a thing where you could sign up for a Paramount Plus and you get like a free week if you enter Ghost as the code or, or something oh, nice. such as that. Um, nice. But uh, then you could binge a bunch of the episodes and, and, and check it out. Yeah, it's worth it. Definitely it worth uh, 21 and a half minutes uh, each week. It's it was so fun. fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Joe. You were going to say one All more right. thing though. Was, do you want to say it on air? Or was it, I oh, no. Off. 
Okay. Oh no, I, I I don't think I was. I was I was gonna I was I think I was gonna uh, try to squeeze in there that it was airing on the 18th. Oh, mm-hmm. sweet, nice, well, perfect. Which is also my sister's birthday. So happy happy birthday, Heather! I should listen to that. Happy, said, birthday, happy birthday, Heather! Heather. <laughs> what a wonderful birthday present! Ah, uh, <laughs> I'm sure she's a big fan of D and D. She'll listen to now that I know she will now listen to this whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing from people who are making great stuff, broadcasting it to the world on CBS, and having it all be due to their inspirations in D&D. So cool. I agree. And I think uh, Joe's job sounds really cool. And let's just say, because of his history with Dungeons & Dragons, he became the type of creative person that could land a job like that. So kids... Yeah. Start playing Dungeons and Dragons if you also want to have cool jobs. I, in all seri- seriousness, I love, I just, I love that. Like Hollywood is filled with D and D players. Yeah, exactly. It's been uh, just real gratifying to consistently get that feedback from people who are in that business and be like, "Look, everybody's you know uh, excited about this." Even even folks who don't play are like, "Well, how can I play? And how can I learn more about this awesome game? Because yeah. it seems like it's so inspiring." So. Dig it. I, I dig that he and Utkarsh are, are keeping the dream alive on Ghosts, and hopefully they do a good job of converting uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the woman of the house who can speak to those ghosts. Well, you know a thing or two about that. So. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always work, but you know, we try. Yes. Awesome. All you can do. Well, if you want to find out everything about what's going on in the D&D world, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. That's really the best way to get all the information on upcoming products. You can follow us on Twitter, Wizards underscore DND, as well as on Instagram and the Facebooks, as well as TikTok and many things out there, all of the social medias and discords out there. You'll be able to find people playing D&D because they are pervasive. <laughs> And I, if you want to follow me, I'm at Greg Tito and on Inst- on Twitter and then on Instagram, Greg underscore Tito. I'm really excited about the close of the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation that we're talking about on Re-Engage TNG. So follow along there on Twitter and listen to our latest episodes. We've had a couple of Dragon Talk guests as guests. We just recently had Cicero Holmes, uh, oh. who was uh, in the original cast of Rivals of Waterdeep on again for a second time. And that's a really fun episode. Uh, and so give that a listen if you want to in on that. What about you, Shelly Moo? That's so cool. Uh, you can find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. Sweet. Yeah. And soon to be uh, maybe other podcast projects I've been hearing about from my household. I know. This is, I just, I can't get enough podcasting with Tito's, so <laughs> look for that soon. Greg's wife and I are going to be tearing up the airwaves and the RSS feeds. As well as tearing their butts from farting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what it's going to be, just a podcast dedicated to hearing a couple of mothers ripping them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's definitely the two of you's humor put together. It's going to oh. be at least one or two fart jokes in there. I really do just love your wife. Oh, me too. Yeah. For 18 years. You know, we're going to be uh, celebrating our 18th anniversary uh, next Monday. I know. 18 years of marriage, right? That's, right? That's not just there's extra years on there too with dating. That's true. Yeah. I think three more years, right? So we've got uh, four more play. years, really, because I think it was 99. Oh. Uh, so crazy. 
Right um, around the time I was starting at Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> <laughs> right. You and you're, Aaron were reuniting in seventh grade. Your career at Wizards of the Coast can drink <laughs> and uh, our marriage oh, can, can. can vote. So there you go. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, speaking of congratulations, I think congratulations are in order for Drunky Two Shoes, uh, who is in the middle of <sighs> a fight and maybe uh, not able to convince the halflings up above that everything is going to be okay. Uh, so the doppelgangers have been uh, engaged. Samson recently got hurt, and you uh, heard a cry from up above saying, well, everything up there, and you failed the deception check. And they said that they might be calling the guards. That might be happening very soon, well, depending I mean, on how long it takes for them to get here. Uh, but what are you going to do in the meantime, Drunky Two Shoes? Uh, so these doppelgangers are just still around? Yeah, they're in the middle of fighting with you. You, you hit them with acid splashes. One of them has yeah. been uh, dispatched um, and is lying on the ground, kind of steaming in a bubbling, uh, noxious fumes. And this this cellar is getting really gross because you had your fog cloud, you had right. your farts, you had this acid splashing on the doppelganger's skin, uh, and the halflings who were innocent uh, of the doppelgangers within their midst are are hiding uh, from wow. from what's going on here in this, this feel, fracas. I feel the worst for them. So I turn around to Daryl and I say, "Are we supposed to keep these guys alive? What am I supposed to do with them?" Uh, Laryl Silverhand just said to, to try and thwart their plans and you know maybe find out. I don't know if these are all of the doppelgangers in town. I don't know. Maybe we should try to keep one of them alive. He says while dodging around and trying to not get attacked uh, by them. Oh, uh, okay. Samson, I'm going to need you to try to restrain one of these guys. Okay. big and brawny. I'll do that as soon as I'm done bleeding. Yeah. Oh, right. That's right. Uh, we'll be right on that. Okay. Is it... Are we still in initiative? Is it somebody? Yeah, it's your turn now. Go ahead. Okay. Well, so is one of them is like near death, and the other one's not quite there yet. You dispatched one of them is completely dead. Two of them haven't been injured very much. I think one of them's only got uh, one they, hit against them so far. Oh shoot. Okay. Are the two that are left near each other? Like yes, say, they're five kind of feet right apart. in front of Samson. Samson's kind of holding them off as you're having this little conversation. He's like, Acid splash. All right, splash it again. It's for your go-to for this fight. I'm I'm out of spell slots, so <laughs> ah, I see. So we're we're rolling with the cantrips. Got it. Splash away. Uh, okay. I think one succeeds on the save, one fails. It's thirteen. Did you know that? Yeah, I got a, okay. uh, a seventeen and a nine. Well, eight damage. Eight damage to the one that rolled a nine again. <laughs> You, uh, uh, f- you use your, your tabaxi paw to flick uh, acid at the bo- uh, as, as many of them as you could within five feet, and one of them is able to kind of da- uh, duck uh, under the splash while another turns and gets it right on the side of his face, and you see whoosh, almost on uh, like a two-face kind of situation. On one side of its face, it is spitting and, and, and burning and, and more... Steam slash noxious fumes uh, release oh, okay. from its face, and it screams in that awful alien <laughs> kind of sound uh, in pain. And it seems to redouble its efforts and want to attack y'all, uh, which it does. Ooh, two hits against Samson. Oh, not Samson. Uh, and he takes a total of 12 damage. Uh, Holy. So 
Samson is, uh, he's got multiple wounds now. He kind of drops to one knee and says, I can't hold them off much longer. And uh, Daryl jumps to his side and uh, takes out a small uh, vial from his knapsack. And uh, he actually, um, because he's on one knee, he kind of just tips it over into Samson's mouth. Oh, thank you, Daryl. I forgot to pack one of those. He regains seven hit points. All right. And he says, much thanks. There's potion all over it. You know, he didn't get to swallow all of it because it's been in the middle of a fight, but most of it goes down, and he's got red potion on his face. Big disgrace. Big disgrace. (laughs) 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 Awesome. Well, uh, as that's all happening, uh, you hear heavy boots uh, up above, Uh uh, kind of pounding on the floorboards uh, uh, up above, and we'll see what happens when the guards arrive next time. Okay. Okay.